Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. This show is intended for information purposes only, but we're not experts. We're just two guys within the Bitcoin community. Bitcoin is an experiment in the separation of money and state. You'll be surprised how many will support that. And adoption is the only thing that matters. Everybody, this is your second host, D. And this is Corey, your third host. Once again, Marcello is still out doing things that are not the podcast. He'll be back next week, we think. What was with your delay? Did you forget we were starting the show? (laughs) Yeah, totally did. I was reading something. (laughs) Yeah, Cello is out. I I believe he's doing straw yukins in a waterfall. Is what he told me, but that's just the last that I heard. Um, but welcome to episode 50. This is a glorious episode for us. Ha! We can do this. That's a glory. Sorry. Uh, 50 episodes. Man, that's a grind. So that means there is at least 50 hours of the Bitcoin podcast material out there for you guys to binge listen if you want to. But it's a lot it's, of good interviews. Yep. It's not even a want at this point. You need to get down on this shit. We've had but, some great interviews over the past 50 yeah. episodes. Can we, let's just start rattling them off. Rattle what we can. We had oh, Obama. <laughs> we, we had uh, George St. Pierre. I know his name now. Uh, you can say it. Sinead O'Connor. We did Sinead O'Connor. Sinead O'Connor. We had Leonardo DiCaprio. Scrooge After. McDuck was the fun one. I really enjoyed his uh, his his commentary on the latest financial crises. See, Scrooge McDuck was nice, but I prefer Robo Duck. Robo Duck was a great one. Blather and Blather Snipe. Yep. And we had. I'm kidding. Sorry, we're wasting the listeners' time. But we did have Voorhees. Uh, we had uh, so many that aren't coming to me for some reason. <laughs> What's nice? What's nice about like all the guests that we've had is it's it's it's, it's really thrown out a broadcast, a wide cast of people. We've had academics, we've had you know VCs, yep. people of all different types of different companies, inter- people in entertainment, pornographers, goons, uh, rare fighters. We just you know we just had John Fitch. Congratulations John Fitch. to John Fitch coming out with a sick win, unanimous decision. He dominated Heck yeah. that dude. Joel got just dominated. Nice, Mr. Fitch, doing even work. The, uh, even the way people are portraying it here in Brazil is that, that Joao got just dominated by John Fitch. Mm. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. I, I'd like to think that his victory had a little bit to do with the good luck and praise that he got from the Bitcoin podcast before oh, he we're fought. We're definitely the, 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 the luck token there. He needs to come back before every fight so that we can, uh, we can uh, keep him winning. Absolutely. He should do every pre-fight interview with us. Doesn't even have to be about Bitcoin. But anyways, we had John Fitch. Um, we've had Roger Fair. Um, we have had people doing all sorts of things in all sorts of areas, applying Bitcoin and blockchain. Of course, Ubiquity. Shout out to McKibben and Saucier. Um, yeah. One um, one guest we had, which we're going to get into later on in the show a little bit, um, was Plutus, which I I think people kind of fell off the radar with them and kind of forgot about them for a while. But they just released their white paper. You're a big so fan. 
I'm a huge fan of them, especially in my current state of where I am and how I am able to use my Bitcoin. So I want to be able to connect with your why you why you like them so much. I, I'm going to talk to you about that and see because Plutus to me I thought was pretty good idea. I mean, it was pretty cool. Like you could go spin your Bitcoin anywhere; it doesn't matter where, as long as they have near field communication. I guess radio frequency devices set up. And, and a lot of people have these things. Yeah. Then you can spin your Bitcoin wherever you want. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, cool. It's I didn't like, really what? think anything of it. I know the repercussions of that are monumental. But before we get into all this, we should probably plug escrow my bits. Oh, shit. That's right. We got, we're like five minutes in. Hey, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by EscrowMyBits.com. What's EscrowMyBits.com? It's a place where you can send Bitcoin in escrow to buy per- buy things, purchase things from all over the globe, um, and you hold your Bitcoin in escrow until you receive your goods, and then you release it from escrow, and the other party gets their money, and you get your device. So, the way it works, it's an easy process, sign up. Send your Bitcoin. Then, when you put your Bitcoin in escrow, it is used, it is pegged to fiat. So, it keeps the value, the device or whatever you bought keeps the value. You don't have to send more Bitcoin. Um, you don't really have to worry about anything. And it's pegged using this very stable cryptocurrency called Nubits. You get your goods. They get their money. Release the funds. Boom. EscrowMyBits.com. Escrow your shit with escrow my bills. There you go. Well, so now that we've our, paid the bills, <laughs> our our guest today uh, is an all around badass who works with uh, some decentralized applications. Yes, and we wanted to kind of because they're kind of talking about decentralized applications. We wanted to kind of define that and mm-hmm. talk a little like sometime some of the time today on the show discussing what they are and. As in terms of like a core definition of what a decentralized application is, or a D app, or a DAP, as I like to call it, mm-hmm. and, and um, how that affects Bitcoin, so on and so forth. Considering that's what our guest is. So. Who do you think is calling it a D app? The creator. That's it. <laughs> they want it to be similar to email because that's- we don't say. I mean, there's no other way to say email when you look at the way it's spelled. You can't. A mail. A mail. A mail. It's still email. It's just you sound like a retard. <laughs> <clears throat> so it's a dab. Come on, guys. Get your shit together. Um, a mail. <laughs> you can't do it. I've tried. I just tried. It's not working very well. Um. So anyways, a D app. Or a DAP, if you're not a fucking weirdo, is a decentralized app. The way I posed it to Corey shortly before we started recording, guys, is I said, hey, in my opinion, to me, it seems like a DAP is just like any app. Like, let's take Facebook, a really popular one. And let's say instead of it running on the centralized Facebook servers, it's then there's like a copy of the Facebook app along with any storage needed for it on each individual device that is running the DAP. As to which Corey responded, 
No. And I said, <laughs> oh. It's close to that. I mean, there's, it's, it's, it's like the, it's a good way to start thinking about it is that there's no centralized point of failure. And that's the kind of, I think the key term of centralization we're trying to think about here is that there's no central point of failure or central point of takeover or ownership. Um, if we look at the actual, I guess, formal definition of decentralized applications or, or dApps, as posed by um, David Johnson, David John, David Johnston, Johnst- uh, Johnstonator, Johnston, the Johnstonator. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he wrote a long, long article on a theory of decentralized applications. You can find it on GitHub with your Google skills. So go do that. But um, the key point I'm trying to get here is that his his definition of a DAP is um, has to meet the following criteria. Uh, Number one, application must be completely open source. It must mm-hmm. operate autonomously with no entity controlling the majority of its tokens. The application may adapt its protocol in response to proposed improvements and market feedback, but all changes must be decided by consensus of its users. So just from the first one, we see that there's no real centralization of ownership. And it's, it's, it operates autonomously with no per, you know, people behind the wheels to kind of control it. Mm-hmm. Other than the, other than the users of the application itself. So number two, applications data and records of operation must be cryptographically stored in a public decentralized blockchain in order to avoid any central points of failure. So not only is there no real, <clears throat> uh, this is me talking now, not only is there no real person behind the wheel driving it, but its operations are completely transparent and secured in a public decentralized blockchain. So you can see everything that's going on. And no one's controlling what's going on. So number three, application must use a cryptographic token, in parentheses, Bitcoin or a token native to its system, which is necessary for access to the application and any contribution of value from uh, things like miners or farmers should be rewarded in the application's tokens. So application uses cryptographic tokens. Boom. It's useful. Uh, four application must generate tokens according to the standard cryptographic algorithm acting as proof as a proof of the value nodes uh, are contributing to the application. So Bitcoin uses the proof of work algorithm. And so those are the four, I guess, criteria that an application must have in order to be considered a decentralized application. And when we think about that, the next point essentially made here on this and um, something I think people don't necessarily realize is that Bitcoin is a DAP. It's the first and most powerful and currently most incredibly useful for a peer-to-peer mm. currency transfer system. So when yep. people say, you know, decentralized apps are stupid, but then hail Bitcoin, they're being hypocrites. Yep. I always wonder what that meant when Andreas and other, uh, I guess, Gavin and other people that talked, that other people that, I guess, have higher profiles than us, way higher, talk on Bitcoin, they say, the first application is Bitcoin. And I was like, well, I, I was taking it a total different meaning, but I guess it could actually mean the first dap is Bitcoin. Yeah. That's, so. what, that's, just, that's exactly what they're saying. And when, and so Ethereum, that's what it's trying to do is create a really, really, really easy way for people to get up and running, building their own decentralized application from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Right. So. With, with Ethereum currently, you can make, you can make a Bitcoin app and it works and it works fine, but it's not secure because the network isn't that large. 
and no one's using it. So it doesn't really have a terms of like a market for its value and so on and so forth. So you, you, why, no one's going to build that app. That's not useful. I mean, they've made digits, which is a, <coughs> which is a useful, which could prove to be useful in the future because of the stability. Digix was that huge crowd sale, right? Yeah. They, they, they sold 5.5 billion with their target goal was of, uh, Digix, Digix tokens and their DAO, decentralized autonomous organization. Did you which say is billion? Another, I said million. Million. Yeah. Okay. 10 to the nine or 10 to the six. Okay. Million. Milli. A milli. A milli. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, so. They did put, they did do a, like a crowd sell for their, um, their thing. And there's also the DAO, which is a decentralized autonomous organization, which is another essentially a DAP, which is a way of doing, um, governance decent, in a, de- a decentralized manner, which is going to become quite popular, which is useful in the network. So there's a lot of different applications that people are trying to get into, which utilizes a blockchain that is essentially completely separate from Bitcoin and can be bolstered by Bitcoin and vice versa. And I want people to start to try and think of it that way and to try and figure out how those things can go together instead of trying to fight it. Mm -hmm. But when I, I guess we go full circle back to the Plutus. Um, So Plutus is a, for those that don't remember or haven't heard of them and haven't listened to our episode of us interviewing them, they have created an application that allows you to use your Bitcoin in any any merchant that has a near-field channel NFC device, which is almost everyone who has a credit card processor. Those little mm-hmm. so those little terminals where you swipe your card typically have the little three like the Wi-Fi signal on them. That's a near-field channel device. So you can use your Bitcoin at those places. And they don't have to care that you're using Bitcoin. They receive their money in whatever currency that they receive their money. So you can use this app anywhere in the world, and it automatically does the translation to whatever fiat currency that they're using at the local at the at the current exchange rate. And it's instant, it's easy, and it's awesome. And so this allows you to to not have to worry about getting whatever currency you need to go to whatever country you go for people who travel, you can, uh, you don't have to worry about trying to on ramp all of the, all of the merchants to use Bitcoin and then convert their Bitcoin or hold their Bitcoin or whatever they want. They don't care because they don't know. They're just getting a payment the way they normally get a payment. Mm-hmm. And if they're interested, you can then try and on ramp them with Bitcoin because you just use your Bitcoin. And I'll put it to you like this. If you're shopping in places that don't have NFC uh, point-of-sale terminals, then stop shopping there. I don't know. Seems like they're kind of whack if they don't at least have that. Because it should be, like, everywhere. I mean, unless they're just taking cash. But they're taking cash. Why even listen to this podcast? Go away. Um, Different use cases for different things. Yeah. Um, I mean, what what I I guess the the point I was trying to to get to once I explained what Plutus was is that they have they're using this really um, fantastic way of using your Bitcoin, but they're using the Ethereum network to do it. So, and but on the same point, they're not completely decentralized. I guess you really can't consider them a DAP, or they're maybe like a half a DAP, <laughs> half DAP, or half DAP. <laughs> that makes more sense. <laughs> that makes a lot more sense than what I did. 
I don't know what you just did. You just made a snake sound. The P and the P and the S. Uh, okay. No. Nope. That's stupid. <laughs> uh, so they have a, a certain amount of centralization in the way that they've um, uh, set up the organization, which is outlined really well in, their, in the white paper they just released. I encourage everyone to go read it uh, if you are interested in how this works. And white papers and coffee. Sale. They'll be having a crowd sale as well for their their on you know on block token that you can use. But um, it's 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 kind of this halfway between centralization and decentralization, only out of the the, the like the mother of necessity, because mm-hmm. they're they're interfacing with a giant uh, traditional infrastructure of payment processors. So. There has to be a, a, a centralization there because that old system is so centralized. So in order to interface with that, they have to have some type of server and you know regulations and things like that. And to really deal in the way they deal with uh, <clears throat> the way they have to deal with things. So I think what we'll see in the first wave of these decentralized, decentralized applications, if they're trying to interface with all of the old infrastructure, is uh, kind of a halfway, halfway, but very transparent way of doing things, which is a huge step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. The thing about Plutus that I thought was funny is that I looked up the word Plutus and it means wealth, but their app implies spending money. So I thought that was kind of counterintuitive. Nothing wrong with Plutus. You guys do a good job. I'm just saying like, I thought that was interesting. <laughs> But we'll, we'll get we'll try and get them back on the show so they can explain it better than I can. Or if I made any errors, they can correct me. I'd love to get them back on the show. I think that was one of the things we got in on too early. You know what I mean? Well, they shotgun blasted Reddit for a while, and that's when we were trying to get guests. And so that's now that's not so difficult to get guests. We could. Yeah, Reddit's so useless now, though. Just well, not even. Well, by the way, uh, we're gonna put you know, hashtag. Famous is bitch made at the front of every single show, I think, from now on, in some way, shape, or form, and see how long we can go until we get banned from the Bitcoin subreddit. Yeah. Hashtag Thamos is bitch made. We need to make that a thing. So the people that are listening, you guys, tweet us. You know our hashtag, just two guys. But this new hashtag, Thamos is bitch made, needs to go more viral than our hashtag. So he can see that, and then we get banned, and then we can talk about it. It'll be funny. <laughs> we got some, uh, we got some good response from that last week, and I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty pleased with it. We need to keep that going as far, just get it, get it going as far as we can until we kill it. Mm-hmm. Anyways, speaking of DApps, not DApps, but speaking of awesome forums, awesome people, we had a guest on this week. His name is Steve Mackey. And Cello got upset with me about the last episode when I introduced John Fitch. He said my introduction sucked. <laughs> I love MMA. What? Who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> so Cello took the liberty in his sabbatical of writing me an introduction to say on the show. So this is a shout out to Cello as I introduced Steve Mackey. And Steve, I saw that tweet. I'm pretty sure I can get flaming Hot Cheetos with Bitcoin. But anyways, here's the introduction. I hope you're ready, Steve Mackey, because this is all for you, man. Episode 50. The Oh, 
phone died. Here we go. The internet. It was one of the most significant advents in human history. Thanks to the power of the interwebs, for the first time, we, humanity, had finally been gifted a medium to truly call our own. With the ability to communicate in real time with some of the brightest minds all over the world, our guest today is a tech globetrotter who landed in the Bay Area who's affiliated with Signal Labs, your block channel, that. Together, he is fighting the fight and making your content yours, belonging to you. Oh, also, he's Bitcoin's number one crypto rapper, Lil Buterin. Everyone, this is Steve Mackey. Here it is. So uh, I read your piece on uh, Bitcoin Magazine where you talk about a blockchain meeting, big data, and data analysis. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get kind of an update on the situation there uh, with mm-hmm. Coin Analytics, and maybe you can clarify for me. It seems that that company, Coin Analytics, is essentially data mining open source data, the Bitcoin blockchain, to provide mm-hmm. information about identity and history to increase to interested parties. Do you, don't you just see this as an obvious inevitability and just a first attempt at, on an enterprise level? Oh, yeah, most definitely. And I mean, just recently this week, you heard of that one one company, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but they raised $5 million to do like, you know, blockchain related forensics. And then you have Coinalytics and Coinalysis and, you know, all, all these other companies that have sprung up recently. And when I had that interview originally um, with the gentleman from Coinalytics, Bill, um, he's actually left Coinalytics. I actually talked to him about two or three days ago. Um, he's working on some Ethereum related stuff now. Um, but uh it it seems it seems like a great you know viable sort of you know like product productized like application of the Bitcoin blockchain like it's an inevitability yes because the, the data is there it will be if it can be mined and someone can extract value from it and make money from it then it's going to happen um, but then there's also the the whole inevitability of needing more sort of large scale tools um, from a forensic standpoint for governmental regulatory bodies and banks and you know where they if they're going to be using these varying different entities in order to interact and to transact with Bitcoin and they have to make sure that they can follow the trail and make sure the money is coming where the money needs to come from. Um, so I mean, it's will it continue to evolve to a point where it might pose a threat to like normal consumers? I don't think so. Um, and the reason behind that is that the majority of these forensics tools are more so for the enterprise business side. And for those enterprise and those businesses to analyze the transactions that happen on their own personal networks, you know, in their own personal system. So I don't yeah. think there's necessarily going to, I mean, you know, they might have like a governmental entity entity that might use these tools and, you know, they, they, you know, they want to find some bad actors, you know, maybe who are like, doing illicit drug trading or something like that. Maybe that'll happen. But I would like to think if you're doing that, you'd probably be pretty well at covering up your tracks. Yeah, definitely. I mean, ransomware people are definitely good at mixing their, 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 uh, their funds. <laughs> Mixing their fun, obfuscating it in, in any way sort of possible. And I mean, there's a lot of people who are large proponents of utilizing um, Bitcoin in its most secure method possible. Like, for instance, like Christoph Atlas, 
who is one of the main security researchers at blockchain. You know, he is a huge advocate. He wrote the, the anonymous um, Bitcoin book, um, you know, that tells you, you know, explains yeah. the ins and outs of it. And, you know, it, it's a, it's a, it's a topic that people like to jump on because it's privacy related. But at the end of the day, I think it's more so overblown than what it inevitably will be. Because there's just going to be so many privacy related features built on top of the blockchain that it won't even be an issue. Very interesting. I don't, I don't know if you knew, but we interviewed Ryan X. Charles uh, actually before the launch of DAT. And he told us some really fascinating things. Uh, what can you tell us about the developments post-launch? And, and you know what? Also, congrats on the launch itself. Well, well, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Well, I came on, I came on to start assisting Ryan about, let's say about, maybe about two, two and a half months ago now. Um, and essentially, uh, you know, I reached out with him because I was very interested in, in the project that he was working on, and with that, and it was making a lot of progress, and I was following along in Slack and. You know, we got um, we, we met together. We got coffee here in San Francisco in the city. Um, you know, we, we talked and it made a lot of sense. You know, I, we we had a lot of alignment. Like we haven't we had, we didn't talk prior to this, but I think he may or may not have known of me um, because of my involvement in the space. But, you know, we, we had the meeting and we seemed to work really well. And I had some contacts um, that I set him up with at Coinbase. And we had some meetings there to debut and to demo that to them and. We did some sort of like Q and A back and forth, then sort of did some ideation, to build out more of the sort of idea behind that and like where it'll go. Um, but as far as where it stands now, um, currently I know that um, Ryan and the team of developers who are currently in the Slack channel, I think we're currently sitting in almost close to like 300 different individuals, um, which is pretty great since they they didn't really genuinely start putting their feet to the ground maybe like July, June, September timeframe. So it's progressing. Um, but when we went to the launch hackathon, there were some rules in place um, basically that was like, you know, we can't, we can't like take pre-existing work and make alterations to it and then submit that for the hackathon. It was cheating. So essentially what we had to do was we had to start all over again um, but utilizing the module we, which we created, which was the that backend itself, which handled all the transactions and all that other sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's when we created yours. Um, so yours and DAT are two two functionally separate projects that all use the DAT tech technologic technological backend. So handling payments, uh, handling like the peer to peer nature, the decentralization of the nodes, passing about that information, all that's handled through DAT. And then additional services are just going to be built on top of that. So one of the original things that Ryan wanted to work on was his Reddit like clone, this is Reddit killer that he was, you know, working on, you know, at Reddit originally. And then there came about the idea for yours, which came about with we we came about that literally just in a span of a couple of hours. We came up with the name, we came up with the tagline. We were like, you know what? This sounds great. Let's do this. Um, <laughs> yeah. so so we, we found another really awesome guy there uh, while we were at the hackathon. His name was Anupam. Shout out to Anupam if he's going to end up listening to this in the future. Great guy. He works at Amazon. Uh, and he helped us get all set up and stuff uh, for our back-end related stuff. And the project, the project is going very well. Um, uh, Ryan currently is sort of refactoring and just sort of basically changing up a lot of the code that we created at the hackathon for yours. So that it's it's cleaner and we can 
we can have a more robust um, back end for when we actually do re- release the minimum viable product product or the MVP for yours. So we, we just started finishing up the overall like UI designs, uh, you, you know, in the UX and working through that and building that. And once we have that built, you know, we'll, we'll strap that and attach that to the back end and be able to release something um, for individuals to like get their hands on. Um, but it's going to be an iterative project. Definitely. Um, like there are some, some aspects of that yours that, you know, we, from a scalability standpoint, we have all these, possibilities and all these different alternative routes that we want to go but we have a major hindrance which is outputs and inputs for transactions and the issue with the block size and so one of our um one of our quickest solutions or one of our ideas was to you know build build the entirety of that on top of um the lightning network and utilizing segregated witness and being able to take advantage of those technologies as they became available and that was sort of what our original discussions were with Coinbase was to talk about, you know, how we could build out the Lightning Network in some sort of joint fashion that might benefit uh, both parties um, from an open source standpoint and from like a proprietary standpoint. Um, that didn't end up being uh, the case, uh, but we did end up getting a lot of ideas um, from Coinbase um, and sort of it helped us iterate and help build the ideas to where it's going now. Um, but now we're, you know, we're in the process of just sort of figuring out what exactly we're going to need for the MVP and having it available for when we launch. So when it, when it comes to giving power back to the content creators, yours mm-hmm. uh, seems to be a great step in the right direction along with micro payments. So why do you think in 2016, we're finally seeing the importance to create a global forum for content monetization? Well, I think, I think, I think it's, it comes from an evolutionary standpoint, right? So originally Bitcoin came out, people loved it, got a lot of, you know, cypherpunks and, um, you know, old school coders from the 90s. They loved it. They hopped on board. That brought on younger, younger developers over time who were less libertarian. And because of that, more startups started popping up. We started getting VC money, UI and UX experiences actually started to not suck. Um, you know, as we moved away from like the Mt. Gox era and we moved into like our circle Coinbase, like, you know, majority like brokerage exchanges and things like that and how that's evolved into ItBit and now Kraken and, you know, Gemini and all that other sort of stuff. So evolutionarily speaking, it, it couldn't have happened until now because we had to realize that, hey, there's this digital gold, digital cash thing. Let's build stuff on top of it. Hey, we've got some. We've got something going on here with this decentralization thing. Uh, let's build some other stuff. And you know, first it was you know the <laughs> the you know Silk Road and you know dark markets, and then you know it, there's, it was a natural evolution as more consumers and more everyday people and developers were coming on, where they're like, hey, look, 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 we don't just have to sell drugs anymore, guys. We can actually do other stuff, um, <laughs> which 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 is great. You know that it, it worked out well, and now we reached a point where not, we're not just talking about these ideas like we were like back in July or back when people were talking about, oh, Reddit's going to, you know, introduce these notes and they're going to change the game and everyone's going to, you know, everyone's going to love Reddit and it's going to be decentralized and it's going to be the future. That was great. That started the conversation. That conversation needed to be had. But people had to sit down in a room and start working at some point. And, you know, it, it, it all starts with this 
MVP, this minimum viable product. But there's a there's a very scary, scary thing about creating something like this. And the scary thing about it is, is when you make a decentralized platform, something that is going to be global, something that's uncensorable, something that can't be cut off once it's cut on is very dangerous. I mean, much like individuals, you know, the DPR who um, cut on the first Silk Road and the individual who cut on Silk Road 2, you know, there is a whole can of worms that you open up when you flip that switch. And there's a lot of things that you need to think about iteratively before you before you take that responsibility to do that because we want to do it right the first time we want to make sure people get benefits the first time we want them to see the value we want them to see this as a valuable marketable product that that will attract additional developers to come on to utilize the dat backend to continue to build more cool applications it doesn't end with just that reddit clone it doesn't end with yours network with content monetization you know it goes way way beyond that uh, I mean, just just as you know, as you're developing decentralized applications with Ethereum and an infrastructure like that, just will allow you to have quickly, you know, quick deployable decentralized web applications. Does it um, does it offer you some of the benefits of things like Ethereum and things like that? Sure, um, but you know, you get the added benefit of it being on Bitcoin. People are familiar with Bitcoin. There's already so many libraries. There's already been so much work built into developing the Bitcoin system that it just makes sense to continue to build from. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Sounds awesome. I'm so glad. So I'm check in it out. Space. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't know. So I, I just wanted to go down his resume a little bit more. And um, I, I was excited to see that he's kind of a, a UI designer. I'm a UI designer myself. So mm-hmm. I've seen some pretty bad stuff out there. And, and I like how you said you're making crypto sexy again. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I like that. So from mock-up to design, can can you walk us through the like the creation process? Because look, you have you have two battles to fight here. You have to make a responsive, intuitive design, but you also don't want people to get flustered with like the crypto content, right? Yes, and, and, and I'm glad you asked that. So like one of the things that has was really invigorating about working with um, these individuals and these developers who are working on that and who are working on yours and who are interested in bringing this idea to fruition is that you get a lot of global talent. You get a lot of individuals that just poke their head into the slack and they just start reading and start commenting and start making suggestions because it just sounds like a great idea, right? That's sort of the ethos of the space is it's a meritocracy. If you're smart, you got great ideas, you're going to move to the top. And that's one of the fun things about working with that, right? Like, I know from a personal experience being in the Bitcoin space for so many years, since about late 2012, that, you know, the evolution of the UI UX experience has changed substantially. Um, so it's very important to me to, and, 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 you know, it's one of the things that I advocate with working with block channel and et cetera, is that we're bringing in, you know, developers, we're bringing in uh techies, we're bringing in people who are surrounded by this technology all the time. And it's very important that we don't forget about the other 99% of individuals who don't give a good goddamn about Bitcoin, don't care about decentralization, don't give two flying yes. fucks about peer-to-peer. Yes. But but they know that if they go to a website and post something, they're going to make some money. And that makes them happy. And that's all that matters to us is for us to create a platform that is fun, that is simple. It's intuitive. Anybody can pick it up no matter where they are in the world. There's not going to be any, you know, we would hope to in the future to have, you know, additional multiple translations of everything that we have running on the site. You know, it's we want to create an experience that's simple that you come back to it. Like, like for instance, like if you're going to go find a room to rent on the Internet, 
you don't you don't start thinking about newspapers. You don't think about looking up like how to find roommate services on Google. You go to Craigslist. You go to Craigslist because that is the go to. Everyone goes there. Let's get this shit out of the way and let's get it done with. I'm going to go here. Right. Mm-hmm. I want I want yours. I want that. I want anything built on top of it to basically be a destination. And when we create these destinations, these portals that give all this value, then we're just going to continue to track more and more people. And one of the things that I know that Bitcoin really needs is or, or basically peer to peer technologies as a whole and digital currencies as a whole as, as the industry needs is more young people like myself. For instance, like the the 17, 18, 19-year-old developers who have all the free time in the world, who are just graduating high school or just getting into college and they have whole summers to themselves and, you know, they want to build, they want to create, they want to investigate. Like, that's how I got into crypto in the beginning. So I know that if I need to bring on more people like me now, who in two or three years are going to give a lot more value to the space, then we, we have to start thinking that from day one. So if you think of user experience and user... Um, and in user interactions from day one, you, you know, iteratively, you'll create a product that people love because that is what you've been focused on. And the great thing about the Slack channel is that they have so much talent, so many designers, so many developers, web builders that it's like, oh, I had this idea. Oh, hey, I can do that. I'll gun that out for you. I have you something in 48 hours. Like, that's great. You know, you can't find that sort of talent elsewhere. You've got to search that. You've got to pay top dollar. But when you have a great idea, people come. And when you yeah. build it, it will come. And it makes for a great community. Oh, man. How many times have we said that, Demetrik, on the show? We've said that like 35 times. <laughs> 35 times a month. We got to build it. They'll come. Man. It sounds like you guys right. are doing some real exciting stuff, though. That sounds cool. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Uh, let's talk about the elephant in the room. I'm talking <laughs> about little buterin. Where did he come from? <laughs> And is he going to be able to spit some some Dylon, some hot blockchains? <laughs> Dylon spits. Um, uh, maybe, maybe. I, I have to come up with something on the fly. I mean, if we're being wholly, completely, truthfully honest, like I love the space. I love being. I love being in the space. I love talking about it. I've learned. I love nerding out about it. I love being about it all on Twitter. That's what I do. I love being, having all the up to minute information. But sometimes when you're reading through normal day-to-day stuff on Twitter, it does get a little bit mundane, a little bit boring. It's the same people talking about stuff. Albay, it might be really interesting, fascinating, but um, it might not necessarily be entertaining to everyone. So I was just bored, and I Googled Vitalik Buterin, and I found the most hood-looking picture of him as I could. Um, and it happened <laughs> It happened to be him in a green shirt and a red hat. I mean, like, it was a fitted. It made sense at the time. So I, I went with it. Um, the name Little Buterin just sort of followed right after that. And, you know, it, it started with, you know, I live I live in San Francisco. Um, full disclosure, I've got a medical marijuana card. And some evening times, I like to sit around and hang out and have a good time. And, you know, what? when I'm not human... I know, I'm a human. And, you know, when I'm not, when I'm not like, trading, trading Ethereum or trading Bitcoin and stuff like that. And, and I'm not reading news and I'm, I'm, I'm musing like, I'm like, these things interest me and I, ideas come in my head. And I'm just like, you know what, let's, let's poke fun. Let's poke fun at the elephant in the room. Let's talk about the block size debate. Let's, let's talk about Ethereum blowing up uh, in the market cap. Let's, let's make jokes. Let's poke fun at this because that is what crypto lacks. Crypto lacks. I mean, we're, we're huge on libertarianism. We got plenty of smart people. We got plenty of engineers. We got plenty of biz dev folks and finance folks and everybody and anything you can shake a stick at. But what we do lack 
is general acceptability, humor, and funny. It will, and overall, just, just enjoyment and entertainment value, right? And if I can imbue even an, a modicum of, um, you know, entertainment into the things that I'm saying, but I'm also educating people, right? Like, I may make a joke, Mike, say, you know, I've got, you know, coming through there, you know, like through the mist, you know, with the Glock in my fist, you know, like you <laughs> just reading that you'll, you might get a, you might get a giggle just because you might look at the profile picture, see what the hell it reads. You're like, Oh, this guy doesn't Glock. That's hilarious. Um, you know, but if you're curious and you're like, Oh, he's talking about mist mist. Oh, he's talking about the smart contracting wallet through Ethereum. Oh damn. That's clever. You know, it, there's layers to this, and when you start, you, <laughs> you start, start to sound like a real rap. Layers, you know, <laughs> you you find you find more humor in it, and, and, and it's funnier, it's more enjoyable, it, it it feels less like you're in the middle in the middle of a CS class listening to a bunch of nerds debate about stuff. It it's, it it makes it more actionable. It makes it more fun, and, and that's what right. I try and do. You know, I I try and bring you know notice to the space through the way that I know how, which is what I've always done is I try and incorporate humor into things. Always try and make people laugh. <laughs> you you're really, like a- you're really touching on the heartstrings of like the Bitcoin podcast. Cause that's kind of what we set out to do in the first place was create content that's relevant to people and what's them they want to hear, but through a vehicle that's not incredibly boring to listen to. Exactly. I mean, like there's only so many times I can hear Adam Back or Samson Mao or Peter Todd or somebody go back and forth over mundane specifics in relation to like computer science related topics. And before I get bored and I just want to hear somebody make like some, you know, some some hood street jokes or, you know, make jokes about, you know, <laughs> they haven't like core developers having small penises like that's funny to me that that, that brings that brings me enjoyment um, and ultimately keeps me more interested in this space. I think uh, uh, I think you'd enjoy our show. I do. <laughs> we do this a lot. I like the. Qu- I'm taking some quotes from this interview. The first one's not giving a good goddamn, and that's 99 percent of the population. And uh, I like your. It's layers. You're making me feel like sway right now. Like there's layers to this shit. But anyways, sorry, uh, Corey. Yeah. I don't sip on your no big deal. Uh, so as. As everyone who follows the, the forums knows, Vitalik speaking at Coinbase tomorrow, uh, as it's at the time of this recording, about talk about the Ethereum roadmap. And we believe Coinbase is, provides an excellent, albeit centralized, safe and secure service. And I'd personally be comfortable dumping the majority of my Ether stash on Coinbase, assuming they have some type of multi-sig option. But would you store your Ether there, or uh, do you think Vitalik will make the right calls or you know, say the right things? Did we lose him? Maybe. Is that what those? Oh shit, we lost him. That's what that. <laughs> no wonder he wasn't laughing. I was like, I know. Wait. Oh, you can edit that. Mark it. <coughs> Hello. Hello. Hey. Guess we lost. Hey, him. Sorry yeah. about that. Oh no, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> um, I hope I hope it didn't cut me off there at the end too much. Oh no, your no. your comment ended ended. Okay, good. We were like talking to ourselves for a while. <laughs> Didn't realize it. I was <laughs> so, like, "Damn, all right. I guess, I guess, I talk too much. That's fine." Interviews over. <laughs> <laughs> I had a whole conversation with you, and then you weren't there, and I was like, "Oh, I guess he wasn't amused with that shit." Or <laughs> <laughs> you go ahead and ask me. <laughs> oh man. Well, 
I guess I'll just out. go back and edit everything. But I was saying, like, you should listen to more of the show because we're, like, right along the lines of what you talk about. We try to have Oh, no, time. I mean, I, I definitely will now. Like, coming out from this, I'm glad you guys, like, sent me that invite. Like, it's 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 a great opportunity to, to come on here and, like, talk to people when I'm, you know, outside of my comfort zone and my element. Just, just to talk to people who are interested in the space. That's why I go to conferences. That's why I attend meetups. Um, like just last night, I was at um at twenty one, um twenty one's headquarters here in San Francisco. Um, and Balaji, um, and some other individuals were having a presentation talking about sort of like what was in their pipeline and what was upcoming that hadn't been released yet. And you know, being able to just sort of go to those events and like see some of the some of the what who, who I believe some of the smartest people who in the world, um, and listen to some of their ideas and like what they're coming on because you know altruistically they're all working to basically make the world better. And it's interesting to see all the different methodologies that they're going to go down to make that happen. Uh, and that makes me excited. And when, and when you're in a room full of people who are genuinely ultra, altruistic and are all there for that same vision, you, and you can find that same group of people at every Bitcoin meetup, at every Ethereum meetup, it's a special type of people. Um, and if you're new to an area, like, for instance, like I am new to the Bay Area, it's very welcoming. You know, when you when you come and you're in a room with people and you're a stranger and you walk up with a group and you say, well, hey, how about that block size? You know, and you can just open up a conversation and start talking and have an intelligent conversation. And um, and that speaks leagues to how inviting the Bitcoin community is. It's just a matter of getting people to notice. Definitely, definitely, definitely. So let's uh, switch over to a little bit of speculation. Let's do it. So if anybody who follows the forums knows that Vitalik is going to be speaking at Coinbase tomorrow at the, at the time of this recording, yeah. uh, talking about the Ethereum roadmap. And we think Coinbase is an excellent service, albeit centralized. It's safe and secure. Um, would you be, I personally be comfortable dumping the majority of my Ether stash on Coinbase, assuming they have some type of multi-sig option, which they more than likely will. Would you yeah. do the same thing or would you, do you think Vitalik is going to make the right moves and say the right things to get this to happen? Um, Definitely. So I know that I first from my understanding that Vitalik has been basically on been on a tour going to different like Bitcoin related companies and talking to them about the Ethereum roadmap because there's been a lot of you know general curiosity in space. And I think that he's just recently caught up with what you know with the release of Homestead. He finally has some free time and he's been going around like I know he's meeting with some individuals from BitGo today. Um, you know, and he I think they met with some individuals at blockchain like last week. I could be right. I could be wrong. Um, and, you know, in this in this talk for Coinbase is just going to continue to pile things on. And Anthony Watson, the CEO of Uphold, um, and they just recently added Ethereum and Litecoin. And they're a major broker. Right. Like you can mm-hmm. buy Bitcoin through oh, them. Yeah. You can buy Ethereum through them. Same 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 as Coinbase, um, which is great. And because not only does it give people more options to make quick purchases using whatever fiat currency they want, credit card, what have you. But it pushes a little bit more on that, on that throttle to make Coinbase, you know, pick up their britches and get to work. Like I can, I can see Coinbase and like, this is, this is what I think is ultimately going to happen. Um, I think that following this overall general discussion, because it, it is very public that Vitalik is going to be speaking at Coinbase. I think I might have been one of the first people to announce that that was actually happening when I came across the meetup. And I posted it to Twitter. And, you know, it, it now it's it's a matter of I've been to Coinbase's office. It's 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 large, but, you know, it's it's not a huge. It doesn't have a huge, huge meeting. It's not a campus. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not a campus. It's 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 on one front street in the middle of San Francisco on like the 31st floor. 
you know, it's nice. It's got a pretty view. It's a great headquarters, but it's not a huge space. So I think the popularity of the event shows leagues as to how interested people are at the, at this sort of potential possibility. And I think last time I saw there were over like 90 to like 100 people plus on the waiting list, including myself for the RSVP, because somehow I got shafted and I didn't get space. To get in. <laughs> um, and, you know, I even reached out to the organizer and they said, hey, man, no bueno. We can't can't do anything for you. Sorry. Um, damn. I even asked Vitalik and he still wasn't able to pull any strings for me. But, you know, I'm sure it'll still be uh, sure it'll still be a good discussion. Uh, but I think that the route that they're going to go to go back on what I was saying is they'll say that, hey, we're interested in Ethereum. You know, they recently came out sort of not necessarily pivoting, but changing their messaging slightly by saying, hey, we are yeah. a retail exchange. Their now, I don't know about life changed. Right. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't know any retailer, a.k.a. a broker that sells only one item. So if you're a retail exchange and you're only selling and buying Bitcoin, then you probably should sell and buy Ethereum, too. So I yeah. would think that they would start with at making an addition for Ethereum to their exchange to answer what Kraken has already done, you know, to answer what Bitfinex has already done. And then from there, if the popularity continues to grow and they see enough volume from it, I think they might actually incorporate it in their core services further down the line as we get closer to the different stages of, you know, the Metropolis release and things like that. Like they'll stage it because they'll want to get as much free publicity, free PR from it as they can. Uh, that and they can milk as much attention as they can from the Ethereum community because the Ethereum community does have a lot of new crypto individuals like so you can talk about some top topics in Ethereum, talk about altcoins, and people are like, uh, what's that? Like, they're like, they're so new to the space. Like, they only know Ethereum. And yeah. it's crazy because it reminds me of, like, when Dogecoin became big, where, like, you just, you had 10, 11-year-old kids mining Dogecoin. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> and, you know, it, 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 it blew up all over the place, and it's sort of having that same effect now. And that says a lot because, you know, Dogecoin, it's persistent bastard, and it's still around after all this time. But it doesn't have anywhere near the technological capabilities or the network effect that Ethereum has. So, so this sort of just leads me to believe that, you know, we figured out how to build a community correctly from a narrative standpoint with Dogecoin. Now it's, now that whole process is just being replicated with, actu with actual good technology. Uh, and now I, now I think that the sort of adoption curve for Ethereum will be far, far, far um, steeper um, than it was for um Bitcoin. It, 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 it'll, it'll happen way more quickly. And I think that you'll probably have Ethereum catching up from a market cap perspective, probably within probably within the next year, because, you know, I watched a capital inflow of all over five hundred million dollars pour into Ethereum over the course of two weeks. Um, and, yeah. you know, it broke one billion dollar barrier. And it's only a matter of time before there's more institutional money that's going to be flowing into um, Ethereum. And it, it still hasn't had its Bitcoin equivalent of the, you know, the 2013 bubble. It hasn't. Yeah. I'm, I'm, oh. very, I'm very certain that it has not. Um, and the reason being is because the barriers to entry for individuals to speculate are still very high. There is no Coinbase-like service. There is no simple blockchain-info-like wallet that you can quickly move your funds to. And that's something that recently I know I read that Vitalik, you know, was concerned about, you know, that the services and whatever and the pools and stuff wouldn't be able to adapt and grow quickly enough or whatever to adjust with the environment. And mm -hmm. but I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, like, for instance, I know that there is a uh, I'm going to try and say this without giving as much detail as possible. There is a very nice East 
ether no nah, no nah, he'll totally love this there's a very nice ether related project that's going to be um releasing or coming out tomorrow tomorrow i believe yes uh in coindesk and and i believe the new york times should be writing a post about it it's embargoed but there's oh, a lot of core services that are coming for um ethereum that are going to basically allow it to leapfrog all the hurdles that Bitcoin had to come into with security, you know, with exchanges and theft and with the introduction of multi-sig, ultimately cleaning those things up. That if we can do it right from the beginning, we can avoid any and all of that and sort of negative press so that when that bull run actually continues to start charging, that it won't stop. So that's, that's sort of what we're doing right now is laying, laying all the foundation to make make it work and to make it right this time. You know, you know, coming back on top of that to, to like, I think last year was kind of the, the year for on-ramps for Bitcoin. And yes. through the process, since everyone focused so much attention on building these on-ramps and these financial services, that it almost pigeonholed itself into only money. Yes. And because this has happened, do you think that Ethereum will have kind of the ability to avoid the same type of problem? Well, and- see, I, I think inherently – Ethereum will avoid this. And, you know, it's funny because I was sort of asking some people some, you know, general questions when I was at 21 last night, just asking people's, you know, topic on Ethereum. Like it did come up during Balaji's presentation mentioning Ethereum and sort of, you know, how it plays into their, you know, marketplace and et cetera. Um, and forget where I was going with this. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. So Balaji. And, you know, talking to other individuals there at 21, uh, I'm tr- I was trying to, like, basically get some general sentiment on some hardcore Bitcoiners and, you know, what they were thinking on Ethereum. And they they don't they because of, you know, technologically on how it is made and the fact that it is, you know, inflationary um, and that it will be moving from, you know, solely proof of work to proof of stake to just to be more of a decentralized platform more than it is a digital gold that they think that long term it is not a not just a store of value that yes it will have a value yes the price will increase but people won't necessarily hold it for the value they're going to hold it more so for the utility and what it can bring them just like just like you have to put gas in your car because it what makes your car go if i run the most popular applications i know i need ether in order to access those applications so i like to think of ethereum more so as like a like sort of a trade commodity not as much as a like unit token of value as just something that I it, it is a means to a end and I have to have it and if other people have to have it too and it just so happens to make the price go up and that's just part of the nature of what it does yeah I think the canonical example or analogy is uh, Bitcoin is gold and Ethereum is oil yes yes no that's that's literally the like the like the best way to put it I mean and from the economics of it and you know converting ether into gas and making it work like it just just from just from a metaphorical standpoint it, it, it's it's a good example hmm. yeah i think I, it's definitely something we try to push on is because uh, the bitcoin community has also kind of been a little uh, affronted by other other altcoins coming out that could that could take some flare away from bitcoin i think that's the negative approach we need to kind of adopt these things as much as possible and and work with whatever experiment is working best for a given commodity or for a given exactly. use case. Exactly. And I mean, and the fact, and I, and I really don't like when people use the terminology, um, specifically Bitcoin. You know, I've been around in this space for a while now, and I know when you use the word altcoin, you're, you're sort of saying it in a in an offensive way. You're trying to say, oh, yeah. it's just an altcoin, right? 
But Ethereum isn't just a coin. Hell, it doesn't even have coin in the name. Um, <laughs> sure, it has a, sure, it has a sure it has a, a, a unit token value that can you know that's at the core of what it does. Um, but it's not the silver to Bitcoin's gold. It's definitely is the it is you know the, is the oil. And I, and I think that over time, Bitcoiners are going to realize the inevitability of this system and what Vitalik is building and. They're going to come to accept it, and they'll stop yeah. throwing around terminology like altcoin. They'll just call it for what it is. Eat it. I mean, the sheer fact that one we hear Ethereum so much now, and the fact that uh, it, it really is. I, I I I've always thought Bitcoiners were a little bit like, oh, uh, like they kind of shit on other coins and shit on yeah. anything that isn't Bitcoin. The but maximalist. The the, yeah, and, and the fact of the matter is is there's going to be this huge digital economy that exists. And Bitcoin, I just don't think it can handle all of it. It can't. Well, uh, I mean, I think it can handle let, a lot of let it. Let me, I can save. I can say, based off of some of the things that are coming out from 21 and from what I saw last night, Bitcoin is not going anywhere. Bitcoin isn't going no. anywhere anytime soon. Bitcoin is, is just at the beginning. And companies like 21 and their 21 marketplace are going to make it so ubiquitous. And it's going to make so much sense that it's the only way for it's, it's only going to be up for Bitcoin. I mean, it's a gateway mean? drug. It is a gateway drug. It is definitely a gateway <laughs> drug. Once you start going down that rabbit hole, you find yourself going down multiple other ones until you end up buried. It's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Corey, you want to take But yeah, the... <laughs> the the stuff that 21 is working on, you know, and, and you know, shout out to Balaji and, and the team there at 21 and Andrew DeSantis. Like, they're working on some fucking wicked shit. Like, <laughs> uh, just 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 from a developmental standpoint and, and what they're doing with their quote unquote grid like computing system that is going to cha- challenge, you know, major cloud services. It's a pretty big deal. Um, and it's it's going to be curious because I'm going to be wondering what are Microsoft Azure's, what is Microsoft Azure, what is Google Cloud Platform, what is Amazon Web Services, what will be their answer to the 21 grid? Because you only need one decentralized grid protocol system moving around value and you know doing API calls and doing all that fun stuff that. You know, Bellagio and them want to do. It's. I'm curious to see how these major companies are going to answer to the disruption that's going to come from um, Bitcoin services and microservices like 21. Hmm. I'm just hoping they don't get Netflixed. They might be too big to turn around and see what's coming. So no, no, no. They, they're definitely, definitely a lot of really smart guys there. They're, they're iterating on this very, very slowly. Um, they, they know, they know what they're doing, and you know, every. Every like, oh, but what if like that that I might have had mentally while I was, I was listening to Balaji's presentation last night was quickly answered either during his presentation or, you know, during the end where he had his bullet points of, yeah, well, you might have been thinking this. But, you know, here's here's my answer to that before yeah. anyone says anything. Um, very smart guy. He knows, you know, and it's um, I really don't see anywhere of them going. But uh, there'll be there'll be complete and utter disruption from the cloud. And working its way down um, with Bitcoin and micropayments basically being the thing that's leading that charge. Um, and I don't know how the industry is going to <coughs> react to this. So it'll be interesting to see. I don't know if it'll be 21 who will be the, you know, the majority, you know, 
but we'll see what happens. Cool, cool. So last year, Bitcoin and blockchain-related startups, they raised over a billion. Well, I think total, we've raised over a billion dollars, total investments. And so if you fast forward to this year, uh, Bitcoin industry venture capitalists are shifting focus to non-financial apps and what we kind of been talking about the last 20 minutes, Ethereum startups more. So mm-hmm. what does this mean, do you think, in the long run? For Bitcoin, like I think, just this... say that you know, their Bitcoin's not going anywhere. But let's put the stamp mm-hmm. on it. Let's get an official stamp on it. I think this sort of touches on um, what you were mentioning earlier when you were talking about how a lot of the wallet services and stuff pigeonhole themselves into being wallet services and exchanges. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, you know they, the companies basically pigeonhole them and sold all these investors all these different Bitcoin blockchain related ideas that they they were met with investor fatigue. And the reason I think that is because, for instance, when we were at launch for the hackathon for the yours and we went to the judging and we had some we had some um, some demo related issues. Um, They were like back end related. There weren't really anything that we could control at the time of the demo. But we were still able to like go through with the pitch and to present it and put out the idea. And when we were talking with the judges, one of the things that the judge said was, you know, Bitcoin is uh, Bitcoin is old news. You know, like his exact words, basically, like Bitcoin is old news. Like what what is new? Like what stands out? Like why is why is this product like useful now? Like, you know, we want we're looking for like different use cases, like new things. Like I think they're just tired of saying we're going to do remittances. We're going to allow you to transfer money and yada, yada through banks. I think that that narrative has run its course. And now a VC to open up his wallet to give you, you know, uh, a six figure sum. It takes a little bit more creativity. And ultimately, I think that's just part of the evolution of the space, less so than it is, um, you know, maybe a a sign of, of, of bad times to come. More so is, is it's developers having to be more creative uh, and to dig a little bit deeper. But I do think that decentralized applications that are going to be built on top of Ethereum, um, they might have a much faster growth than the ones that have been built on top of Bitcoin. And I think I think we're already seeing a lot more interesting use cases in Ethereum as opposed to Bitcoin, just because of how much easier it is to develop. Well, not necessarily easier, but how 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 many more tools are there for developers to create this stuff that they want? Hmm. They've got the tools to kind of hit the ground running a little better. Yes, definitely. Big time. Did you did you hear uh, did you hear that baby in the background? <laughs> <laughs> That's our show our show mascot Marcello's Marcello's child. She gets so excited about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Hey. <laughs> brought her in the room. I go. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that this is gonna wrap it up. We got one more question. Yeah, of just course. one. It's a tough question, though. Okay. I think Ophelia wants to ask it. Marcello, mute. Hold on. Hold on. I'm. Uh, hold on. Give me a second. Hold on. Did you hit your baby? Just click the mute button. <laughs> 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 Hold on one second while I slap this baby. <laughs> <laughs> one last question. We have to ask it. It's kind of like our thing on the show. Uh, in 10 words or less, can you describe Bitcoin? Ooh, in 10 words or less, can I describe Bitcoin? Can I just use 10 separate words? Does it have to be a real sentence? 
Nah, you'd be the first to do that. Go ahead. Uh, oh, shit. Let's come up with 10 words that have to do with Bitcoin. Um, let's see. Uh, altruism, decentralization, freedom, peer-to-peer, choices. Um, can I just say awesome five times in a row after that, too? And then there we go. We got five. Awesome, 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 awesome. <laughs> That works. <But laughs> that works. Well, thank you very much, Mr. McKee. Uh, thank you, Mac- little beauty. Mackie. Mackie. Mackie, yes. It's Irish. It's weird. Like Anthony. I'm, mi- I'm mixed race. It's all over the place. Okay. Uh, well, thank you very much, Mr. Mackie, yeah. little Buterin. I like your tweets. Um, I laugh my I'll ass off. keep them up. The first time I saw a little buterin, I laughed my ass off. I was like, that is hilarious. A little bit of me hoped it was actually metallic. Because <laughs> it would just add to this. so happy. You know, you know what's funny? I actually asked Vitalik, um, and, and I was like, hey, man, like I sent him like a, a DM on Twitter, and I was like, you know, let me know if anything I said is like offensive to you and yada, yada. And like the only, he gave me like a one-word response, and it was just a big smiley face, like one of the ones, like big open, like, you know. Like, <laughs> like, and I was like, I took that as, and I responded, and I was like, all right, I'll take that as a resounding, keep calm and carry on. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> So you know, he I, I think he really I think he enjoys it. Um, I, I don't know if he agrees with a lot of the things that I say, but deep down there is a gangster rapper and Vitalik. He just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I think you know. I think th- that's one of the things I think that's given Ethereum such a boost and why it's so approachable. It seems like to so many. I'm seeing so many companies. Corey, I think we talked about a little bit, like Pivot. From a just Bitcoin stance to like, oh, Bitcoin and other things stance is because the story of Ethereum is a lot easier to digest than Satoshi Nokomoto, one dude or many dudes that made. Bitcoin. Yeah, like ni- like 19 year old techie engineer guy has genius idea, raises largest crowdfund in history to create world's best decentralized system that sells a lot better than. Hey, I know my friend Joe. He can buy us some cheap weed on the internet. Like, <laughs> there, you know, there's a very stark contrast between the two. You know, and when you and when you go to places like Microsoft and you go to places like Amazon or you go to these like big tech companies and you talk and you have to talk shop and you're talking technology and what it can do. The biggest elephant in the room is going to be all that negative flack and all those negative connotations that are surrounded by that, and it sucks that. You know, that there can be so much negativity or so many negative connotations attached to a brand or a name. But but I, I really do feel like that Ethereum, Ethereum is in a different place to not necessarily challenge Bitcoin, as we were saying earlier. Like, you know, it's more of a compliment, but more so motivate Bitcoin to be the best version of itself so that the two of them can remain successful. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I think that's going to be best for the industry and it's just going to allow us to grow a lot more quickly. Nice. Well, you guys heard it here. Bitcoin is digital gold. Theorem is digital oil. So, (laughs) thank you very much, man. We're going to let you go. Thanks for stopping by. And we hope you appreciate it, man. Yeah, have me back anytime. I had a great time. You guys have a good day. Awesome. You too, man. All right. Later, fellas. Later. Later. And uh, that was the interview with Steve Mackey. 
uh, brilliant developer, brilliant guy, rapper extraordinaire, aka Lil Buterin, dropping bars on Twitter day in, day out, doing his thing. Huh? Knowledge bars. Knowledge bars. Knowledge bars. That's right. Day in and day out. Some of them are really good, actually. I was on uh, his Twitter page reading them, and they were really good. We almost got him to to do some shit on the on the interview. I was, I was hoping he'd, he'd he'd do it. We should get him been to trying rap to get a, We've been trying to get a rapper for a while. We should get him to rap a full intro to the show, and that should be like our every once in a while intro. But anyways, um, the things that he he actually knows his shit, and the things that he talked about that I found were interesting in the interview um, were the fact that like. Just because Ethereum is blowing up doesn't mean Bitcoin's going anywhere. He said he's, he's been to conferences, he's been to meetups, and the same people that are very uh, actively working in the Bitcoin space and actively providing, uh, I guess, solutions and um, new innovations on the Bitcoin network, that same thing is still going on. It's just not publicized as much as this great block size debate, which I'm very glad is dying down now. Because it was yeah, getting it seems old. the wave is starting to go away. It does. It, it needed to go away. I mean, that's not something that should be harped on week in and week out. And it, it it began to get to a point where it's creeping into our show, where even just now I'm talking about the block size debate. But it seems to be waning. It seems that maybe very slowly we can be reaching some sort of consensus on something. So, but. I did like that he was like, Bitcoin's not going anywhere. And I think he's really right about that. I think Bitcoin's not going... I use this app called CoinCap.io. CoinCap.io. I think it's made by Voorhees and his squad over at Shapeshift. And there's this really interesting metric they have on their website right at the top. And that is the Bitcoin dominance metric. And so you can... It, the way it works, the way CoinCap works, is it actually denominates all the other alt currencies in Bitcoin. And I truly found the like meaning of what it means for a thing to be a reserve currency because it doesn't move. Bitcoin is just one Bitcoin, one point zero zero zero, but everything else is moving as it exchanges with Bitcoin relative to Bitcoin. Relative to Bitcoin. Well, like whenever you make a comparison. Yeah, you say something is you know big or small, and you give it an adjective of, of something. It has to be relative to something else. Mm-hmm. And traditionally, people use dollars for something like that when they're talking about finance, right? They'll say it's mm-hmm. expensive, or like if, if a currency is expensive or, or falling or losing, it's it's relative to the dollar. Um, and we're starting to see more and more things become relative to a Bitcoin, mm-hmm. which is really, really, really good. It's a really good thing. I love that Bitcoin dominance metric at the top. It kind of, what that means, guys, is it it tells you like how much of the total market of all cryptos put together is being owned. I guess not owned, but is represented by Bitcoin. So the slice of pie that is Bitcoin, if you were to do a pie chart of all of them. So right now, the Bitcoin slice of pie of the entire crypto economy is 79% last time I checked. Which that's a huge slice right of pie. now. Yeah. What is it? Seventy nine percent. Seventy nine percent. With a with a hard lead is Ethereum. Yeah, 
Ethereum mm-hmm. really jumped up there. So we got this is all, all caught on the line here. We got Bitcoin at six point four billion of that market cap. And if you go down the line, you have uh, Ethereum at number two at nine hundred and twelve million. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I, that, the way that decimals are screwing me up. Nine hundred twelve <laughs> million. So it's almost at a billion. It's almost a sixth, or like a seventh or an eighth of the Bitcoin market right now. Ripple is coming in third with two hundred and fifty-eight. So. Ethereum is already three times the size of Ripple in terms of market cap. Mm-hmm. Now, I have to, you have to remember a lot of this is speculation. Man, it'd be so awesome if you could come up with enough empirical data to come up with like a constant a variation between Bitcoin and Ethereum or Bitcoin and any of these coins. You know what I mean? So you could just you make totally some money. You could totally do that. You think you could? Do you think it's possible? Yeah. Like, yeah, they have an API right here. You can do whatever metric you want to comparisons with these types of things. And then, what do you think would be the, uh, I guess, tolerance that your constant was accurate enough to predict a price? If Bitcoin were X price, then Ethereum would be Y price. I don't have any any training, any formal training in, in finances or, or doing derivatives and doing this type of stuff. So I, I couldn't tell you. Fuck. I'd have to do some some serious reading. Hey, if anybody out there is listening is way into finance and would like to help us find a constant of variation between Bitcoin and Ethereum, if that's even possible, hit us up on Twitter. I Hashtag think there's still money to be made in arbitrage. That's just an easier way of doing it. Arbitrage? Yes. Yeah. I don't know about arbitrage. Why not? The markets are not big enough and they're volatile enough to really have arbitrage amongst the different uh, exchanges that do these these, these exchange pairs between U.S. dollars, Ethereum, Bitcoin, or whatever currency you want, as long as they're over a given, you know, a threshold amount of exchanges, you can make arbitrage off it. That's, the, that's kind of the great part about cryptocurrencies, that you can get your money in and out of an exchange really, really quickly. And also, you can, it's the fees associated with moving money from one exchange to another is also negligible. Mm-hmm. So, like, the problems with doing arbitrage in the traditional sense is that it took a long time to get money in one place and out of another, so you probably had to have money in both places and then take take advantage of that that way. Hmm. I don't know. I, I've never really looked into arbitrage, but it's it's something that a lot of people make a lot of money off of, and it should be relatively easy for for cryptocurrencies. I see it pop up all the time in the forums. People are like, arbitrage between these exchanges to make some money. I'm like, ain't nobody got time for that shit. Oh, for, I guess for those that don't know, arbitrage is when you take advantage of the price difference yeah. of a commodity among between two different places. So, for instance, say on one server, uh, one exchange, uh, a Bitcoin is worth 413 or $420. At a different exchange... Bitcoin is worth $421. So there's a price difference. So you would buy on one and sell on the other or sell on one and buy on the other to make the difference in money. And the more volume you use, you move, obviously, the more money you use. So it's taking advantage of these price differences among different places because there's a lag between the market in these two places. Mm-hmm. And because of the velocity of money that cryptocurrencies allow, you can really do it really well with cryptocurrencies. Yeah, so get out there and start trading those cryptos. Make For those of you money. wanting to make sick money, sick profits, sick gains. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that because 
the GitHub and open source community is so large now, you could probably find a skeleton of doing this on GitHub already there. You could just pop it in and use it. Make sure you look at it so it's not some piece of software that's going to steal your private keys. But hmm. Or just bankrupt you in a heartbeat because it's not written properly. Mm. Well... I don't know. I think we're I think we're quickly running out of things to discuss today on the docket. We talked about Let's dApps. wrap it up. We talked about distributed distributed autonomous organizations. That's a mouthful. Yeah, we I had, think people want to change that name because it's it's not doing it for others. Yeah. You can't just walk around in public and say, "Hey, have you heard of those distributed autonomous organizations?" And people the will DAO? be like, like "What's oh, a DAO?" Yeah. Like, oh, I don't, I don't know. Totally. Man. <laughs> that's one thing Bitcoin needs desperately in the entire ecosystem is like cool names for things. Cause ah, that's what I want to talk about. You do want to talk about, we got some time so you can go in on it if you want. Like, well, yeah, I agree with you in terms of the marketing aspect of Bitcoin and having to make things sound cool. Like when I, my buddy who, uh, a really close friend of mine, I was talking to him and he asked me like, what's Ethereum? Is that, is that a Bitcoin thing? And I was like, eh, kind of. And I started to explain it to him and he's always been a kind of against Bitcoin, thought it was stupid, thought the name was stupid. He, he likes the idea and that it works and all these types of things. But in terms of a, a broad sense, Bitcoin's stupid to him. And he goes, by the way, in, infinitely better name, awesome name. It's not automatically like off-putting or too nerdy. It's like Ethereum. That sounds kind of cool. Because he's also a nerd, so you know he's really into video games and shit. So he's like, "That sounds awesome compared to Bitcoin." So the naming thing of like, I guess the space needs to kind of get better and get away from everything crypto, everything coin, everything bit, and be a little more ambiguous as to what it does. Mm-hmm. Or like, or like obvious. It's all in the name, man. But, it's uh, all in the name. I was talking to our buddy Jules. Um, Jiga Man Jules. So like, I guess there's a, like, a lot of people out there who are too afraid to do stuff because they feel inadequate to try. Uh, they feel like they're way behind the curve of trying something and that everyone's going to think they're stupid when they come out with an idea. And I was talking to my buddy who is a, uh, a high up, you know, data visualization person at Google, not Google, eBay. And we were having this, this talk about, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a, an expert in computational chemistry. Uh, I have a, a PhD at a very, you know, I've achieved the highest level of academia possible. And yet I still walk around waiting for someone to find out I'm a fraud and I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and this is ubiquitous amongst everybody in every field. Nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. Period. <laughs> Except right? for Elon Musk. Except for Elon Musk. I mean, there are, there are, there are exceptions. There are a few that know exactly what they're doing and why they're doing it and what's going to happen. But the majority of people out there who are doing these things, who are high up, from a high up executives in, you know, Fortune 500 companies to developers creating new startups and really cool applications that are going to rule the world have no fucking clue what they're doing. They're just trying shit. They're winging it. They're trying stuff and seeing if it works. And that's the way the world works. And so if you feel inadequate or you feel like you're, you're not, you're not up to par with how people are doing things and that you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to do it, then you're wrong. Or Absolutely. You're, you're, you're just, you're selling yourself short with not giving, giving it a try and you deserve to. Absolutely. I had this discussion with a very important person 
and I was talking about watching this show on, um, I don't know what channel it comes on, but it's called How It's Made. I don't know if you've ever seen it. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Okay. I Everybody always think this. it's fascinating when I see something like, like soy sauce, but I see what goes into the production of soy sauce. And I'm like, who is the dude? Who's the MFer that sat and took the time to figure that out? Like, I need to ferment these soybeans for approximately 14 hours and then add in a little bit of this. And then let that sit over here. And I was like, who, who figured this shit out? Like you look at some of the processes for some of these foods and some of these things that are built. And you're like, who was the dude who was toiling away for like months to figure out this recipe to do this, to make this? You know, you know how that was made. It was made through a, an, a, an incredibly long series of screwing it up. Yeah. <laughs> like they got it wrong so many times. I was watching one that's like, I think it was sake, like how sake's made. And I was like, who in the hell thought to like, you know what I'm going to do? Ferment rice. And oh, then people have been fermenting everything for, for <laughs> millennia since humans have been around. If, if, it, if it's something, we've fermented it to see if it makes us drunk. So in terms of like things that get us drunk, I think that's a normal one. If it's like sitting around and it's edible. Yeah, we have too much of it. We're like, you know what? Let's just let it sit around for a long time and see if it fucks us up. <laughs> Who was the first guy though that was like, huh? What is that fermented? What is that rice? Doesn't smell. Mm, that rice smells strong. I'm gonna take a swip. I'm gonna take a swig of this. Oh shit! Like who discovered? I was wondering, and then puts it into production. Anyways, I'm rambling on about that. But what Corey is talking about, not to take away what he's saying, is that. If you are in this space and you want to try something new, you're probably going to fail a lot more than you succeed. So just keep on pushing at the new thing that you're trying and you never know what it could turn into. It could be that next, that AKA killer app that the whole ecosystem is still waiting for. Or even if you have an idea and you want to share it, just talk to somebody about it. If you, if you think it's stupid, it's probably not. It, it might be something no one's ever thought of. And they're like, oh, that does make sense. We should try that. And there's so many people out there that can give you mock-ups or, you know, advice on how to make it better. And if you continue to talk to people about it, if you have an idea that you want to push forward, then you can get it done if you put forth the effort. It's not going to be easy. Mm. Nothing, nothing worth doing is easy. But cool. you should try it. And get on it before somebody takes your idea. I was going to have an idea where I was going to make uh, fried flaming Hot Cheeto Chicken. And somebody did that already. It's on the internet. That sounds delicious. Doesn't it, though? Doesn't oh it? You take God. the flaming Hot Cheetos, you crush them up, and then you roll the chicken in the stuff that you rolled in, and you roll it in flaming Hot Cheetos, and then you fry it. Man. Oh. All right. Well, you need you need to continue to do it. Don't, don't stop. Don't stop. You need to do that. I'll just take a different flavor. I'll take the jalapeno cheddar. Oh, anyways, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound good? Anyways, we got we got to wrap this up. We got to wrap. I'm gonna try and give people a heart attack. We got to wrap this up. So uh, you can find us at the BTC Podcast uh, on Twitter. Chella runs the Twitter. Even in sabbatical, he can't keep away from the tweets. Got various tweet thumbs. Um. So when he's not doing Shaw Yukins and waterfalls, he is tweeting on the Twitter page. Um, the Bitcoin podcast.com. That's our website. We post things on there that you can explore. We have a Q and a that goes straight to Dr. Petty's inbox. 
maybe. I don't know how we have that set up, but I'm pretty sure that he'll see it somehow and he will answer your question. And it doesn't have to be a question about Bitcoin. It could be a question about life. Like, hey, Dr. Petty, how do you feel about the fact that um, hot dog buns come in packages of eight, but hot dogs come in packages of 10? That is because statistically, you drop two hot dogs. Really? Yeah. So statistically, you drop two hot dogs, so... They give you two extra Statistically ones? Statistically speaking, you will screw up or drop or fail at two what? of the hot dogs. No way. Isn't that weird? You know, I've wanted to have the answer to that question for so long. Mind blown. You're welcome. So I guess when you're grilling hot dogs, statistically you're going to drop two in the grill. Or on the ground when you're moving them. Or on the ground. So then they give you burn ten, them. so you still have eight for the eight package of hot dog buns. Oh my goodness. Math is awesome. Anyways. Um, what, what else did we do? Zap chain's kind of dying pretty quickly. Um, but we do have the Slack thing going. I don't know how we're setting that up for people to join us on Slack. Um, we will have to get back to you with the Slack. Um, what else am I missing? Facebook. We're on Facebook. Uh, if you go to face, if you go to facebook.com, not the facebook.com for all you old heads in the audience, but facebook.com. Um, old heads. <laughs> yeah. You remember when it first started? It was the facebook.com. Oh yeah. You remember that? They dropped the the and then it became famous. Um, but anyways, uh, if you're on facebook.com, you can go to type in the Bitcoin podcast and you'll see us pop up. It's like a yellow icon and you'll see all three of our dapper ass faces and you can like follow us. I look like a scrub in that picture. Uh, you and I look like a scrub. I look like a super scrub. It would, think, it would leave it to Marcello to like get the yeah. scrub ass pictures of us and then Cello, look dapper shit. Cello finds a good picture of him and like, makes us look like scrubs. Um, and what else are we on? You can Google us. You'll find us. That's Um, good enough. Well, hope you love the interview. Hope you love the show. Uh, We're excited to get Cello back next week. I know you guys are excited, too. Um, Well, play the outro. Play the outro.